0: Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, Hill City. (laughs) Good morning, Hill City. There you go. Uh, I tell you what, I couldn't have picked... A passage that I'm more passionate about than the one I get to preach this morning. If I had one sermon, one message left, this is what I would preach. Beyond excited. For me, for you. If you were here last week, you know we, we kicked off presenting to you the mission statement of the church. And really these two weeks, last week and this week, are a foundation for what we're going to do next week... And I don't want to do anything but plug what's going on next week. I pray that you would make it a priority to be here for Vision Sunday. Some of you might be like, okay, well, well, mission statement. What, What is it? Why do we do that? We'll get there in a minute. What a mission statement is, it's what we do. It's what Jesus said. This is the most important thing. This is what you do. Next week will be, how are we going to do that in our local context? And I'm beyond excited about that. I hope that you're making a plan to be here. I hope that you're talking to your friends about how important it is to be here, to launch that. So why a mission statement? Some of you have done strategic planning. You're like, well, I've got five reasons or seven reasons. No. Yeah, they're all important. But there's one today that I think is so key for us. Before we get there, I want you to walk through. Because what we're going to talk about today is Jesus and his disciples, how he interacted with them, how he loved them, how he was patient with them. Because we're going to see his last words to them before he left. And we're going to concentrate on that. But in order to do that, we have to build some context. Now, if any of you have read the Gospels, you understand that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you start here. And you pretty much read the whole gospel, the whole book, until you get to the last week of Christ. And especially when he dies, and he's crucified, and he's resurrected. Like, you've got all of the book, and it takes all of that space, and you come to the very end, and it talks about that. Well, the gospel of John is a little bit different. It's special. It gives us, it gives us an, an intimate view on how Jesus interacted with his disciples, because the disciple whom he loved wrote it the apostle John. So you start out in John, you get halfway into the book and you're like, I'm already at the last week of Christ, his last week. Like when, when, when he knew for sure he was singularly focused from the beginning of his life, he knew how it was going to end. But this is when the realization with the disciples, when they finally start just barely getting there on that he has to go away. And that's the context of John chapter 13 through 17, five chapters where you get to see the intimacy between him and the Father, him showing them how to love God, and then him showing them how much he loves them, because that is going to be the model, that's going to be the example that he wants them to take to the rest of the world. And you get there, and you get to chapter 13, and he says this, Remember, the context is him saying, I'm not going to be with you forever. I'm going to have to leave. And they're still confused. They still don't totally understand, where are you going? Why can't we come? He's working with them slowly to get them there. It says this, a new commandment I give you. What he's doing is he's modifying a couple of old commandments, and we'll see that this morning. He says that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, what? What's this? Loving each other. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Like, this is what's going to distinguish you. This is how people will identify you as my disciples, that you love one another. Why would that be? Because that would not be characteristic in the rest of the world. That's not something from day one till day end that any of us humans are really, really good at without Christ. Giving us the model and showing us and the spirit, giving us the power to. And he says, by this, all people know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And then in chapter 14 and chapter 16, he spends 25 verses talking about how, listen, I know it's it's scary, I know you don't understand everything, but I am going to send a helper back. The actual word is paraclete. He said, I am going to send my spirit back to you so that what I'm going to ask you to do, that you can do that. You can't in your own natural power, but with my help. 25 verses he says I'm gonna send this to you to encourage them. Because it would have been discouraging. It would have been confusing knowing that the way, the truth, and the life is leaving. Like, you know, I mean if you're the disciples, that's that's kind of confusing. That's worrisome. And he says this in chapter 15. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you think he's trying to drive home a point? Twice in 13, once in 15, he's saying, love one another the way that I've loved you. This is how people will identify you. This is how they will come to know me through your love for one another. He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. It's not a recommendation. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, this will make your life. He said, I command you to love one another. You, you get to John chapter 17. Some people call it the high priestly prayer. It's that last, it's that last chapter from 13 to 17. And it's really, really curious. You open up in, a, in verse 4. He's talking to the Father and he's praying. He's given them a model of how to pray to the Father. And he says this. Father, I have accomplished or I have finished I have completed the work that you have given me to do. That's in chapter 17. What hasn't he done yet? What hasn't he done yet? He hasn't died. Now, was him dying and resurrecting a work, a work that we refer to of Christ? Yes. But he just told the Father, I've finished, I've completed, I've accomplished and if you go through the things that he told the Father that I have accomplished, manifesting your word, your name, making you famous, giving these people that you have given me, the disciples, he says, I have given them, I've taken care of them, I've, I've been patient with them, I've loved them. If you go through that, it's a precursor to what he's going to ask us to do in the Great Commission. He's just saying, this is what I've modeled for you to do. And in chapter 17, he says, I've completed the work which thou gavest me to do. And he goes on to say this. I want to read 17 through 21. This is the only one that you won't have on the screen today. So just stay with me. 17 to 21 in chapter 17. He says, sanctify them. He's telling the Father, sanctify them, my disciples, in your truth. Sanctify. We use it a lot. He's saying, separate them from sin to you. That's what sanctification is. It's something from sin to God. He said, sanctify them. Cleanse them in your word, in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Some of you, that rings a bell because every week, whoever's doing benediction says what? Go be with people as sent people. It's one of the main passages that it comes from. He's saying, as you have sent me into the world, I'm going to send them. I've sent them. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. He says, I make a lot of sacrifices for them. He says that they may also be sanctified in truth. He said, I do not ask for these only. And this is cool. Don't miss this next phrase. This is the only place in the Bible where he specifically isn't addressing a local, local disciples or a local community or a local town. He literally is talking about you. You and me sitting here today. This is Jesus praying for us. He said, I do not ask for these only, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know who the beneficiary is of the disciples going all over the world, taking God's word? Us. Us. He says that they, they may all be one. He says, I don't ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may also be one, just as you, Father, and I are. And in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He sends us so that the world will believe that God sent him so you get to see this intimate view John chapter 13 through 17 of Jesus' his disciples why do I why in the world do I take us through that well so why a mission statement a mission statement's the summary of the central teaching of Jesus We call it the great commandment and the great commission, and we squashed them together, and we made it simple so that we can all remember, we can all stay focused. Because if you remember, what is amazingly apparent in the Gospels is how Jesus from day one was so singularly focused. He was so intentional about what he did. He was always focused on how he was going to have to die. Like he knew it. Like, even later on, even in his last week, he's praying to the Father. He's like, not that I want to do it, but it's the plan. I'll submit to the will. I'll go die. Like, I understand what this is. But even when he said things like, well, I must need pass through Samaria, no other Jews did it. They hated the Samaritans. But he was always singularly focused on what he needed to do, and he didn't deviate from that. Oh, but how it's different with the disciples, isn't it? Way back here, they're like, oh, Jesus, why are you wasting your time spending time with little kids and babies? Like, you've got, you've got Jesus things to do. And Jesus rebukes them, and he says, what? These are part of the least of these. Like th- These are the most important people that I'll spend my day with. And the disciples are arguing, well, I bet I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Well, I, if you do this, you're the greatest in the kingdom. And you're like, you just walk through the, the, the Gospels and you're like, the disciples were just always just off a little bit, right? Immature, losing focus. There are a lot of reasons we do a mission statement. I think the main practical reason is that myself and you, we can become disciples that, oh, Jesus has more important things to do. Those people, they don't matter as much as these people We become people that argue about things that really don't matter. Arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. When we start arguing about things that's on the other side of heaven, we've really lost focus on what matters the most, right? We learn that from the disciples, how we contrast Jesus, how he was so intentional and so singularly focused and so just laser focused and how we have a, a tendency not to be. The disciples, they argue they're continually fearing. That's why the most common command in your Bible is, don't fear. Because he knows in our human nature we fear. But the disciples were always fearful. They always lacked in faith. So it begins with together. 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 And Brad talked about it some last week. He takes it from Romans chapter 12 and talking about how we're a body and how we operate together. Jesus, the way, truth, and life, he left, but he left a body, his body, to operate and do the things that he was doing when he was on earth. All right? It's definitely a metaphor. You don't have to think, well, I wonder who the armpit is, right? Like, you don't go that far. But it's a metaphor. He's like, you're going to do the work that, that I was doing when I was on earth. And that's where we take that. But I started thinking about it. Brad said something last week about the the one another's. And together is a building block into loving God and loving others. You say, what do I mean by that? When you start thinking about together, what together means, hear me out. The one another's. Love one another multiple times. Be devoted to one another honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded towards one another, accept one another, admonish one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient, speak the truth, be compassionate to one another, speak the truth to one another, in psalms and hymns, he said submit to one another, consider others better than yourselves. Look, That's half the list. I digress. You know what together is? It's living the one in others. You know what gets us living the one in others? The fact that Jesus loved us and we are to love others like he loved us. That's the together. That's the, the, the review from last week with together. And you know, I know Brad said this, what together is difficult in our context because of the radical individualism and the selfishness of us all, right? I mean, we live in the most separated, radically individualistic society that's probably ever lived. Our rights, my rights, my rights. Oh, which ones? Oh, the ones given to you by a piece of paper that men created. You know what your rights are? As a Christian, I have to remind myself, you know what my rights are as a Christian? It's that Jesus owns me and I do what he's asked me to do in love. That's it like we belong to no one else. Listen, I love my country, but when you start thinking about who you are, you are a Christian first. Jesus bought us. That's who we are, but we become selfish, individualistic. One of the things I miss most about like that middle part of COVID was that you got to see people walking down the street when you go for a walk, Natalia and I, we've got a dog, Lucy, that we love more than just about anything in the world. Well, at least I do. So we like to go on walks. And it just was like, I don't know if I'm nostalgic or just like, man, I would have loved to have lived in the the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, when people were out on their porch and the neighbors knew one. I mean, just, you get what I'm saying? Life was probably a little bit more communal, familial, probably a little bit more like what the Bible intends for us to live. He says, together is so important because we war against that in all of our lives. So the great commandment and the great commission. So let's review, let's read together. It will be up on the screen for you. The great commandment. It says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Right? It wasn't a totally genuine question. Jesus, which is the greatest commandment of the law. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He said, everything that you are, you love him. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments Read this next phrase. Depend all of the law and prophets. And I don't know if you knew this. If you go read the Ten Commandments, the first four are about loving God, and the next six are about loving others. In fact, this comes from what the Jews call the Shema. The Shema was basically Deuteronomy, two passages and one in numbers, and they combined them to make this. This would have been the heart of Judaism. These disciples would have grown up knowing this, they could have condensed this. They would have been able to quote this. And Jesus says, loving God and loving others, that is bit. But it, you know what? It's always been the heart of God. You go back to Genesis chapter 12, which I told you a few weeks ago is the most important passage to understanding your Bible. Genesis chapter 12 says, I have given you all of this, Abram, so that you can be a blessing I have blessed you so that you can be a blessing. It's not because you deserved it. It's not because, but Israel always thought they deserved it, didn't they? And that's why they were totally, totally exclusive to other people instead of being inclusive. And I know who else is a people of God that does the same thing sometimes, right? We think that we've deserved it. We keep all of these things for ourselves. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, just to be honest, this is convicting to me, as hopefully it might be to you, that if you have not told somebody about Jesus, and listen, I'm going to be generous, in the last year, we probably have the mindset that, well, the blessings are for me. Right? I'm going to go out on a limb and say everyone in here has probably had the opportunity that God has blessed us with the opportunity in the last year to share Christ with someone else. And if we don't do that, God, thanks for all the blessings. It's awesome. I mean, I know I probably kind of deserve it. I mean, I know know it's by grace, but, you know, I'm pretty good. Anybody else? It's always been the heart of God. And so that's the great commandment. And we jump to the great commission, which we'll focus on today. It'll be up there for you, the great commission. He says this, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. They were confused. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven. Remember that. All authority in heaven has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Now, listen, this passage is no different. We always do this. Who was he giving this to? Because remember, this was not to us. This was to the disciples. Now, is it for us? Yes, scripture was not given to us, it's given to people that, that authors intended for the original audience to have, and we learn from that by application. We, we can understand most of the meaning, we can jump that over into application, but he's writing this to essentially his disciples. You've got to think of it as 12 individuals he's saying this to. This is his, his leaving command for them. Why do I say that? Because you'll hear stuff maybe like, well, what this really means when he says go, it means as you're going. No, it doesn't. It, he told them to go, to spread. Like whenever he told them, follow me three years earlier, he knew that at one point he was going to tell them, leave everything behind and go and spread the gospel. And whenever you, you start thinking about how the world was prepared, the Romans had built the roads I mean, you just start just looking through history and going. At the exact time Jesus knew, the gospel was ripe to go all over the world, and he was telling them that. Why do I say that? Because in order to build good meaning and application, we have to understand that. If you read the great the great commission, there's one imperative, just means main. There's one main verb, like it's it's the bell of the ball. Make disciples. There are three other participles, which they're verbs, and basically just to get real, take something technical and boil it down, they're like, hey, we're verbs too, but we're going to really encourage you. Make disciples. You're like, we know, the three of us, we know you're the main verb. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Right? They all look at make disciples and they're like, you're the main one. Like, that is the thrust of the Great Commission, to make disciples. And just think about this. The disciples have been disciples, but they have not made disciples. You know what? I had never thought about that until I started just preparing for this. I thought, on a practical level, we'll go through it here in just a minute, some of you You're like, I don't know. I've never done that before. Welcome to the party. They hadn't either. All right? Some of you are like, what does it mean? What does it mean? Just just wait. What does it look like in my context? Just wait. But just remember, they hadn't either. It was new for them. He's giving them a a commission that is is new. Now, we're going to read this real quick, and I want to point out three things. The Great Commission again, Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, I didn't put it in here, but all nations has always been the heart of God. Do you remember way, way back here, Genesis 12, he said, I want to bless all of the families of the earth. These two words are kin. They are tied together. His heart has always been All people. You look in Revelation, you know why it's such an amazing scene? Is because what he planned way back there comes to fruition. And people that look different from all different nations are surrounding the throne and they're praising him. It's always been the heart of God. When we read through there, I notice three things. This is how we apply it to ourselves. Because I'm just going to tell you, he told them to go. He did not tell us to go. Now, sometimes, does he tell people to go? No doubt. And as an application, could we say, well, as you're going? Sure. But he knew that there were going to be people establishing churches and staying and sending other people. People need these three things. They need our intentional investment. You know what go conveyed to them? It's an intentional investment. You know how we, we jump that over to our life here in Springfield? You, you know what he's saying? You need to intentionally invest in people. You need to wake up and say, I'm going. I'm going. I'm not going to let you off the hook. We'll come back to it. Others need identification with Christ. That's what baptism is. It is somebody going into the water and raising up and telling everybody, I identify with him. I was dunked because of his death. I'm brought up out of the water because of new life. I was brought up out of the grave. People need identification. Why? Because people are searching for purpose. And being identified with Christ gives them that. And we can be a part of that. And others need instruction in the way of Christ, in the way of Christ, his lifestyle. Like what, like, what do we do? What do we say? How do we love one another? Making disciples, it's this. And if some of you are like, hey, I'm kind of new to church, and I hear the word a lot, what does disciple mean? In that context, it would have been a master teacher that chose or were chosen for him in a system disciples that would sit at his feet and learn. Aristotle and Plato had disciples, all right? This was, this was part of the culture. We are discipled by many things that we put above us. That's why we have to be so careful what we exalt in our lives and what we worship, because we are learning. Disciple just means a learner, a follower that sits at the feet of Jesus, the master teacher, So intentional investment, you're like, okay, that's kind of vague. Like, okay, they're kind of trendy, cool words in Christianity. I'm talking about all of your passion. I'm talking about your energy, your giftedness, your resources. And when I started thinking about this, I thought about when when God calls Moses to go before Pharaoh and how scary that must have been. And then if you read the first chapters of Exodus, you'll hear Moses making all of these excuses why he wasn't able to go and to do that, even though he had the authority of God. All, And I just thought, in my life, oh, how I can relate to Moses. I think you can too. I think when we start talking about the Great Commission, every single one of us, we are good at making excuses as to why we can't do that maybe at a certain time maybe in a certain way so I thought of these this is straight from my life it just may happen to be applicable to you also sarcasm and jest I have forsaken him Stephen you don't know me you don't know me if you do if you knew me if you knew what I did this week you would say Yeah, you're not qualified. No, I wouldn't. I would say, man, you are ripe for the picking. I've forsaken him. Guess who every single one of the disciples had just forsaken a little while before he tells them to go. They all forsook Jesus. I've forsaken him. Join the party. Doesn't mean you have to continue to. You can do this. Listen, I'm just telling you, I've seen people just going this way. They repent and they're like laser focused, intentional. I pray every single one of you, I pray that upon your life. That even today would be a change in direction, and you're going, you know what? Yeah, I've forsaken him. I I, I haven't been obedient. I know that I haven't loved him like I should. Done. On a mission. I have no experience. I don't have any experience in doing this. You're going to ask me to make disciples. I'm too young. Do we understand that way back when he picked his disciples, he's picking 20-year-olds? He's picking men that are about 20 years old. You wonder why they do such immature and ignorant things? They're just young. If you're 20 something in here, earmuffs. If you're 20, seriously, earmuffs. Listen, we need their zeal, we need their energy. But you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna do ignorant and immature things. And they just need older Christians that have loved Jesus longer, that have followed him. They just need us to invest in them and be intentional and give them our time, our energy, our passion, just to give them everything because we love Jesus. They need that. I'm too young. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. I have no authority. You're right, you don't. You're taking the one that Jesus, you're taking his authority when he says, the Father's given me all authority in heaven and earth. You don't have authority, you're taking his. Always remember, it's in his name. It's his authority. Like like I just feel like inadequate, like how am I gonna tell somebody that, I mean really that they're destined to be separated from God for eternity. How am I, under what authority? God telling them, it's out of love. I just don't feel like I have the authority He said, all authority has been given to me, and I send you under my authority. I have no one to baptize or teach. I don't have anybody to baptize or teach. I mean, oh, yes, you do. Listen, every single one of you in here, whether it's school, whether it's work, whether it's recreation, whether it's your hobbies, you've got people around you that the Holy Spirit of God is preparing the Holy Spirit of God is working in their life and they know that you're on the back end and like, hey, this person is gonna give them the word of God. They're gonna give them love. They're gonna be intentional and invest in them. You can do it. You've got the people around you. You're like, well, I just don't recognize any of them. Start praying. Holy Spirit, slap me in the face next time I, I just neglect you and don't understand that you're, you're giving me this person to invest in. You have people to baptize and to teach. You're like, you mean like literally like to view myself up here in a few months dunking someone? Yes, no doubt. You're like, well, a couple of months is scary. Okay, four, <laughs> right? What do I teach them? I've got nothing to say. I've got nothing to give. If you've got nothing to say, tell them what you know. And If you feel like you've got nothing to give, give them what you have. A few chapters later in Acts, what, Peter and John are walking by this guy. They're like, hey, silver and gold, have we none, but I'll give you what we have. That was a story that goes three chapters. It's amazing. You get to see him healed. You're like, I just don't feel like I got much to give. You do. You have the gospel. You have the good news. Listen, if you're in here today and you're like, man, you're worked up. What's this good news all about? This is awesome because you can find out this morning. If you're sitting in here and you've been following Christ, you have the good news of Jesus. You do have something. You have a lot more than that to give. I'm focusing on discipling my children. Uh-oh. Parents, you are the primary disciple makers of your children. But listen, there is nothing healthier for than you as a parent for you to be discipling other people for your kids to see that. Listen, I know it's tough. I know you get tired, especially you moms. I know it's tiring. I know there are seasons of life where you may have to step off. But listen, every time you step off, you have to stay intentionally focused on when can I jump back in. I need a mom's group. I can, I can go meet with, with these, these college girls, these college age girls. Like I need to do that for me because my whole world cannot revolve around my kids because not only one is that bad for me, it's horrible for them. Listen, I'm just telling you, some of the most precious times, there's people in here right now in this service that will tell you they remember Jake and Ethan being drugged to the vine, running around as little kids. I'm just telling you from experience, I'm telling you because I love you, your household cannot revolve around your children. It has to revolve around you making disciples, and yes, they're going to be a large part of that, but they can't be all of it. Parents, I want to encourage you in that. You can't do that to them. You will teach them that the whole world revolves around them and that they're the only ones worthy of your time to make disciples, and they are not. Other people need you. And if you were in the marriage seminar a few weeks ago, I encouraged every single one of you, you think of your marriage. How can we leverage our marriage to make disciples? Like if you just have two people and all they have is themselves to feed off of, I told you, it's like two ticks and no dog. They just literally take each other's energy and suck each other's passion. They just can't, like, there's no, first of all, there has to be that relationship with God. And what does God say? Go make disciples. Figure out how you can use your marriage to help somebody maybe that's been married a shorter amount of time that needs you. Serve together. Minister together. You can do this. Listen, if you're not doing it now, I encourage you. What a great time to jump in. So many opportunities. You say, I have no gifts. I have no spiritual gifts. I have no talents. Listen, if that is truly true, there's a problem. You don't have the Holy Spirit of God. If you know without a shadow of a doubt, you're like, I follow Jesus. I'm saved. I'm made made righteous through him. You have gifts. The question is, where are you going to be using them here at Hill City and other places to make disciples you are not giftless. You are not talentless. I have no extra time. I have no extra money. I just don't have the resources. Oh, I wish I had another hour. You do have the time, and you do have the money. Some of you, what we want to do, and what you're going to hear about next week, it's expensive. You know what's good? Is that almost every single person that walks through these doors is wealthy you're like what do you mean by that I'm not wealthy oh yes you are I'm talking about biblical wealth and listen I know that God is going to call some of you you're going to get passionate about starting churches you're going to get passionate about making disciples and you're going to rearrange your whole life and your finances so that you can be generous beyond generous what people think of as generosity with your money some of you, you're going to rearrange your, your schedules. You're going to be like, listen, this matters. No more binging Netflix. No more this. Like, this matters. I know parents today that are saying, no more travel team. It's not that important. You know why? Because that allows us to not make disciples. That causes us to not make disciples. In my home, in my context, we are changing how we do things. Listen, I know it's just for a few of you. It applies much larger. If your child was one of the fortunate to make it to college and get a free college education, and if they were beyond incredibly fortunate to make it to the big leagues and make a million bucks, so what? So what if they don't know that you love, that you haven't modeled for them, that you haven't installed in them making disciples is our central focus as Christians? I cannot do this alone. No. No, you can't. I can't. Do you understand why it's not called the great mission? It's called the great commission. Because he says what? I will be with you to the ends of the age, to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, I go with you. Man, I hope you leave here today going, I can resonate with some of those excuses. No more excuses. Man, it's me and Jesus Just in this context of Hill City, how do we make disciples? You have up here on your screen, Acts chapter 1, and verse 8. You know, what he said in Matthew, he said in Mark, and he said in Luke, and he said in Acts. This would have been a consistent teaching of his. I'm leaving, but I'm commissioning you to be sent. That's what an apostle is, a sent one. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses to me and... Recognize this. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And if you know how the book of Acts plays out, the first eight chapters are them working in Jerusalem. The next four chapters are them spreading out to Judea and Samaria. And the rest of the book to chapter 28 is about them going to the uttermost part of the earth. You know what's neat is I've got a picture up here of a map. And I want you to get an idea in what this is going to mean for our local context. I want you to think of Jerusalem as hill city. Like this is like this is the center. We make disciples here. We are discipled here. We also have opportunities to make disciples. We all grow together. No one ever achieves to a point where they're not still being discipled. The healthiest disciple makers are the ones that realize every day they are still a disciple and they're learning from Jesus. Think of this, Jerusalem is hill city. Judea is our city. Just imagine a circle around Springfield, the Springfield area. Like, hey, we are going to make disciples here. We are going to do it in Springfield, in the surrounding area. That's our city. What about Samaria? Thanks for asking. It's other cities. We are going to plant churches in other cities, God willing. Listen, you're going to see some of these earmuff kids You're gonna see them as immature and ignorant right now in some things. You're gonna see them grow and mature and they're gonna be the ones that say, I'll uproot my life, I'll go to another city with the gospel and it's gonna be amazing. I can't wait two years from now, four years from now, 10 years from now to figure out and to look and see we've sent those people. We are expanding the way that God wanted us to and oh man, it gets better. Who's the uttermost? We just sent Trey and Toby to Perugia. And just a short while ago, Giacomo and Miriam, they went from Perugia to Paraguay. Listen, you know what I'm excited about? 50,000 students in Paraguay that don't know Jesus. They have no other campus ministry. And you know what Giacomo's doing? It's low-hanging fruit. He's like apple, orange, grapes, pears. He's just, it's amazing. You know what, I want to be a part of that. My life, I always want to see what fruit is and go be a part of that and make disciples. I hope today you're like, you know what? I'm gonna be honest with you, Stephen. I haven't given 100%. Like, I, I'm not sold out, I'm not all in. I'm asking you, all in. You're like, okay, well, what are some of the ways we make disciples here? This is it, this is big group. Just think groups. Whenever you think, how does Hill City make disciples? You think groups. Could be a small group, could be a mom's group that meets together big group gathering, right? After this service, Danny Merrick's going to be up there. I think about 100 people have registered to do city groups. You might already be doing one. You're you're like, hey, I think this might be where God is leading us to open our home and do a city group. We need it. There's people walking in every week that say, get me into a group. And in the past, we've had to say, sorry, but there's just no space right now. If you are rising up and saying, we will host a group, God bless you. Thank you. It's needed. People need a place to become a disciple, to be discipled and have a place to disciple others. Listen, if you are in here and you're like, "Uh, I don't know how I missed all the announcements. I didn't know about that. Listen, after this service, listen, my wife, she'll keep your kids for however long. I'll just, I don't know, I'll convince her, I'll pay her, whatever. You just go to the meeting upstairs with Danny Mack and say, listen, I don't know for sure if I'm in, but we have a house. We have energy. We have a little bit of time and passion. We have a little bit of money. Please, let us open up our home so we can disciple people. All kinds of groups. You're like, you know, I just don't know. I don't know when you talk about teaching other people the Bible and investing in them the Word of God. Because remember, there's only two things that are eternal right now that, that we have control over, souls of men and the Word of God. Take the Word of God and put it into the souls of men. That's a great investment. That's a great intentional investment. Listen, we have, we have seminars coming up. We have classes coming up. Starting the 24th on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8. I'll be going through the book of Genesis for 12 weeks. Man, I, I love teaching it. I'd love to have you there. It's an opportunity for you to come and learn. We will have discussions. We will learn. Some people believe this. Some people believe that. But we will go through and say, where does Genesis point to Jesus? There's so much there. Just get on the events page at Hill City and go, what's coming up that I could be a part of? If you're doing communion, please make your way down one last thing. I want to encourage you. I've told you last week and this week is the foundation for next week. If you're excited about the mission, oh, please, please, man, make next week a priority and come and say, I want to know more about how Hill City is going to execute the mission. What is our vision going forward? I hope all of you are are preparing and planning to be a part of that. And before we take communion, I just, I just want to pray over us. I want to pray over you.